0: Hey, what's going on all you Fiction Peddlers out there? Today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Lucky Guy Bakery, bringing you delicious, handmade, handcrafted brownies made from the freshest, all-natural ingredients. I love these guys, I love their product, and you're going to love it too. Who doesn't want a brownie that strikes that perfect balance between sweet and and salty. They're not overly sweet. They're not overly salty or anything like that. They're just chocolatey and delicious. But if you're not into chocolate and chocolate's not your thing, they have got a bunch of other flavors for you. They've got peanut butter. They've got an oatmeal Jackson with white chocolate and cranberries. They've got a blondie. And if you have some sort of food restrictions, like you can't have gluten or you're vegan or something like that, they've got a brownie for you as well. They're a great little small business run by a liberty-minded entrepreneur who's also a fan of the show and just an all-around great lady. So, go to the Lucky Guy Bakery, use my promo code PF20 for 20% off your order. That's P as in peddling, F as in fiction. 20 at the luckyguybakery.com. Go get yourself some brownies. Support the show, support a liberty-minded entrepreneur. All of the brownies come with a little handwritten note, which is just a great personal touch if you're trying to give a gift to somebody or something like that. You won't be sorry, I guarantee it. So go to the luckyguybakery.com, promo code pf20 for 20% off your order. You're going to love everything about these brownies. I promise. All right, let's start the show. I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Yo, yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. It is Tuesday, March ninth, 2021. Hope you all had a nice weekend. Mine was pretty good as usual. No complaints over here. Broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines south of the border in sunny, beautiful, hot Puerto Vallarta. It's finally starting to heat up a little bit, you know. I think my winter of the low seventies and dipping down into like the low sixties at night is finally over, and I can start. I can start going in the bay again pretty soon. It's been a little, little too chilly for for uh, the voice and soul of so-called fiction. Uh, Your host, the one and only, who has become a colossal pussy when it comes to cold weather. Now, Uh, it's amazing, you know. I'm, I'm from Chicago, so. The uh, I, I'm used to, you know, 30 degree below zero temperatures in the winter. And man, after you do, uh, you know, six, seven, eight months down here in paradise, it is unbelievable how quickly you get accustomed to very warm weather and the slightest dip in temperature will... um Man, send chills up and down your body. But anyway, uh, welcome back, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And for those of you new listeners not familiar with the show, we talk about politics, current events, and economics from a libertarian cap point of view. And we actually had, speaking of weekends, we had a great happy hour on Friday with the supporting listeners of the show. Had a lot of fun. Went pretty long. I think we went for like two hours or something like that. Maybe even longer. I, I the only reason we had to stop was because I had to I had to go. But we had a lot of new a lot of new faces in there. It was great getting to talk to everybody. We got to see a, a wonderful sunset here. Um, on the on the right on the ocean here in PV. And it was just all around just a great time. You know, it, it's always nice to see the to get to connect with the fans and the fans get to, you know, talk to each other as well. You know, it, it's hard to find a good libertarian community especially, you know, uh, this day and age when everybody's locked down. But even, you know, before all that, it's hard to find people, like-minded individuals like ourselves, and, and, uh, you know, get to spend some time with them. And I think we're, we're creating a pretty nice little community here at the Peddling Fiction Podcast. So if you would like to be a part of that, all you have to do is become a supporting listener of the show. And to do that, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. There is a support the show tab and set up a recurring monthly donation. And as long as you keep the those monthly donations coming in, you will be invited to our biweekly Friday night happy hours. I've pushed them back a little bit. We were doing them at 6 p.m. central. I think we're going to start doing them at, at 6.15 15. Central Standard Time for the time being because the sunset keeps getting pushed back later and later. Pretty soon we'll probably start at like six thirty and maybe uh, even six forty-five or something like that. Because eventually the sun's gonna start setting closer to eight o'clock. I I just know that because I've been here for a while. But um, we're doing them around like you know six six fifteen six thirty. You can hop in whenever you want. You know some people have obligations they can't make it in until seven or something like that. Hop in, hop out, have a have a drink with us, and it's a lot of fun. And I. I'd like to get even more participation. We had a great crowd this past Friday, but the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. And, oh, the other the other way to get involved in that is to join the private Facebook group by finding the private Facebook page on Facebook. You answer three questions. We usually let you in if we like the cut of your jib. And if you're one of the top contributors for the month, the top 10 contributors to the private Facebook group, will get an invite to the following... Uh, happy hour that we do so um, join the private Facebook group start posting interesting articles getting engaging in the conversation we've got the great little community on there as well uh, I, I love the meme stream that we do that's pretty much the only reason I wanted to start the Facebook group was so that we could have a page that's going to have a lot of great libertarian memes in it and not just libertarian any kind of meme works but uh, we do that every week And you can be a a member of that pretty easily. And if you crack the top 10 in contributions to the page, you'll get an invite to the following happy hour. And get to throw back some whiskey or tequila with me or whatever I'm I'm feeling like drinking uh, that Friday. Now, we won't be doing it this Friday, but next Friday we'll have another one. I do it every other Friday. It's a lot of fun, so do that if you can. If it sounds like something you'd be interested in, I highly recommend it. I think it's definitely worth the cost of admission. And you're helping support the show. It's not like I'm I'm taking all these donations and and spending them at the bar on Saturday night or something like that. I'm using all this money for advertising, and um, I actually, oh, I'm setting up some merchandise as well. I'm I'm in the process of working on that, so we're gonna get some cool merch set up—t-shirts, mugs, things like that. Maybe some hoodies. We'll uh, we'll see. Maybe some some killer tank tops or something like that. Uh, the, <laughs> if only I could get linen shirts, a, a, my own line of linen shirts, that would be, that would be amazing. But maybe someday. But anyway, yeah, it, it all goes to sort of help uh, increase the, the reach of this show. And I'm, I'm really trying to grow this thing into something big. Because I believe in the message of liberty. I believe in the libertarian philosophy. And I I think it's the the greatest philosophy ever devised by man. And that in the arena of ideas, we cannot be defeated. But we have to get these ideas out there. And we have to get them out there in a palatable way that isn't going to turn off a lot of statists, right? A lot of these laymen out there. You know, we had one guy in the group that actually was uh, he had just joined, but he posted something in the Facebook group that got a lot of traction. And so there was a lot of uh, commenting back and forth. Because he was he was new to libertarianism, I and mean, he came over from the the left the leftist side, which it, it just I I didn't think I had any appeal to to lefties. So I was I was thrilled to hear that, and hopefully I, I'm sure I could work on my messaging to the, the the democratic side. I always felt like I had an appeal, more of an appeal to the right, just because that's sort of where I migrated from. But uh, you know, I, I try to keep it fun and lighthearted and. Not get too bogged down in the minutia of that sort of autistic libertarianism. You know that those things are fun. Those discussions are fun to have, but they're not very appealing to a new crowd. Somebody that's just being introduced to libertarianism. So my goal with this show is to sort of bring it, you know, to a new audience that hasn't really, that isn't really familiar with these ideas. Maybe they know a little bit of economics, or they unfortunately know a lot of Keynesian economics or something like that. And I want to squash those fallacies and introduce them to a very rudimentary, introductory level of economics and sort of make make these complex, complicated, boring subjects a little more entertaining and palatable to the common man to get them interested in these ideas. And then hopefully they'll dive down that libertarian rabbit hole on their own if I can whet their appetite. you know, I, I like to think of myself as the amuse-bouche. Of libertarian philosophy um, or anarcho-capitalism philosophy. I'm the amuse-bouche. I'm that little bite right before the meal that gets you excited for the rest of the meal, that wets that appetite a little bit. So anyway, yeah, that's that's where I'm trying to go with the show. We got a long way to go, and any any uh, supporting donations go toward that end. And you guys have been great. We I I love the the listener base that we have. I just want to, you know, 10x it, right? Um but the the listeners that we have, they're very generous, they're very in, engaged and just A a wonderful group of libertarians, so I'm very happy that you guys are here with me and that you support the show, even if it's just by listening and maybe sharing it or giving me a a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever, following me on Twitter, which, you know, about a thousand of you still need to do. So (laughs) Um, let's get those numbers up if you can for me, and we'll go from there. And that's, I guess that's enough of me... Bloviating for the first was Jesus Christ. It's been like fifteen minutes. What are we going to talk about today? Huh? Uh well, you know, it's been kind of a slow a slow news cycle the last uh, the last week or so if you ask me. There just hasn't been a lot of interesting stuff going on unless of course you're obsessed with the the royal family and Meghan Markle and and Prince Harry, which wow, could I not care any less of the you know what's going on over there across the pond as far as the royal family is concerned. But that seemed to be the big news story of the day yesterday. Everybody was going crazy about this. They were doing an Oprah interview. And for those of you that don't know, I guess they left the royal family, Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry. They uh, they had a bit of a falling out. And so they, they went on Oprah and... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't watch the. There's just no way I could could have sat through a two hour interview with them. But it it started out with just Meghan Markle. And for those of you who don't know who she is, I actually did come across her before she uh, caught the eye of the the ginger over there in Prince Harry. Uh, Because I watched that show Suits for a while. I watched a couple seasons of that and she was one of the, the main characters on there. And, you know, she's pretty easy on the eyes. But apparently she's, you know, her her dad is black or something, so she's half black. And the big hubbub about this bombshell of an interview with Oprah Winfrey was that there were some racist undertones coming from the the royal family now she didn't name any names and what the royal family actually means I don't know because it's you know there's like the immediate family and then there's like this whole apparatus that supports it that run in those circles so i don't know who she's actually talking about but there were discussions on you know, how dark their baby was going to be or something like that. And that just that really got a a lot of attention, you know, because she's she's a princess and um, she's oppressed, apparently. And, you know, it it really is just incredible to watch all of these insanely successful people. Oprah Winfrey being one. I mean, Oprah Winfrey is like the the number one success story of, of uh, an entire generation, like she was the uh, like the glass ceiling breaker for not only women but black women in particular. She's worth billions of dollars, right? Meghan Markle, like I said, was a star on a hit TV show. Uh, you know, she probably made a ton of money doing that. Now, I don't know if she did any other acting but i think she did pretty well off of that show and i wonder if they even got into syndication there were a lot of episodes i i couldn't finish the series cuz it was just every episode was kind of the same but um there seemed to be a lot of episodes and it was you know it was kind of entertaining at least at first but I, I you know she's a successful actress and now she's married into the royal family uh, she's married into royalty she's become what every little girl's dream is in being a princess or anyway you've got all these really successful, powerful people you cry in the blues playing the world's tiniest violin all oh, they talked about they were concerned about how dark my baby was gonna be and i can't go out because the press and you know i can't live my normal well what did you think was gonna happen when you married into the royal family you, you like she act like the, she acted like she had no idea what it was going to be like and that's just that's just bullshit and by the way cry me a fucking river you're a princess now uh I don't feel bad for you at all. I I and like Oprah Winfrey, I mean, come on. It, it's like when you know, they were doing the uh, was it the Democratic National Convention speeches or something like that, and you have Michelle Obama up there talking about how oppressed she was, and Kamala Harris talking about how oppressed she is. And it's like you were literally the you know the first lady of the United States. You were married to the most powerful war- man in the world. You are worth like tens of millions of dollars now. You are getting book deals. You are getting Netflix deals. H- how fucking oppressed are you, really? You know, and you're talking to a crowd of people like these blue collar fucking union workers and things like that, guys that are, you know, digging ditches, laying pavement, driving trucks. And you're talking about how oppressed you are as the first lady of the United States or vice president. I mean, like, come on. How out of touch can you be? And it's this weird thing where, you know, they get to they they not only get to be this Incredible, incredibly powerful uh, wealthy group of people but by playing the victim card and appealing to this like victimhood status which you guys know if you've listened to the show for any amount of time just drives me batshit crazy I hate this whole victimhood mentality and the fucking people that peddle it they are the most despicable people on the face of the earth if you ask me Oh, some of the most despicable. But just just what a horrible message to have, you know? know, No matter how rich and powerful you get, even as a princess in the royal family, you're still oppressed. Like, get the fuck out of here. You're not oppressed, okay? Um, You're doing just fine. In fact, you're doing better than 99.999% of people that have ever lived in the entire fucking history of the planet. So cry me a fucking river, uh, Meghan Markle. And Oprah Winfrey, cry me a fucking river. But it's this weird thing where they can be simultaneously the most rich and powerful people on the face of the earth, and a victim, and they get to like do both. How does that? How, like, and people buy into it. There, there were so many people outraged about this interview and follow. You know, I saw it was like oh, oh, seventeen million viewers and bombshell this and bombshell that. And I don't, you know, to me, granted, I didn't watch the thing, but I, I read about it. And I looked at some of the clips. I didn't see a big bombshell here. All I saw was, uh, you know, her saying that some people in the royal family were saying racist things and she wouldn't name names. So what, what kind of bullshit is that? You can't just say something like that and then not name names. Tell tell exactly who it was. That would be a bombshell, I guess. Um, not, not a bombshell I give a shit about. But this is like the bombshell stuff, you know. This is this type of interview. This two-hour blowhardy fucking oh woe is me because I I don't know I couldn't stand to live with the royal family and we had to separate ourselves and now I don't get protective details from my kid or something like that and I can't go out in public without being harassed by the media. Uh, That bombshell story is the reason they killed the Jeffrey Epstein story, if you remember, right? Pressure from the fucking royal family. And there seems to be more outrage over the over this interview, over the fact that there were allegedly discussions in the royal family with Prince Harry about how dark the baby was going to be. There's more outrage about that than the fact that there's a fucking pedophile in the royal family, and that he's banging fucking teenage girls at, on Epstein Island. This is where we are as a society today, and I, I just don't understand it. You know, there's all this fucking woke shit going around. They're canceling cartoons. Pepe Le Pew was the, the latest one to meet the chopping block. Well, actually, no, that was like yesterday. Today, there's a whole new group. It's like Dumbo and Peter Pan and uh, the aristocrats or something like that for racist undertones and shit like that. They're, they're more upset about a cartoon, Pepe LePew, um sexually harassing a cartoon skunk than they are about actual people, sexual like Andrew Cuomo. I talked about on the last episode sexually harassing his employees. Or how about Joe Biden sniffing kids and fucking touching them in weird ways? They're more like all this um, this virtue signaling, these empty, meaningless virtue signaling gestures that don't accomplish anything other than just giving themselves a big collective pat on the back while they're ignoring the actual outrageous things that are going on in society. But this is, you know, this is why we didn't expose the, you know, the child uh, sex ring that Jeffrey Epstein was running on Epstein Island for years because we wanted access to the royal family. We wanted access to these boring ass 2-hour interviews where nothing meaningful is said and uh, I don't know. It just it, it is unfucking believable to me that that people find this stuff interesting. And here I am. I've probably talked about it for 10 minutes now. So, hopefully you guys find that interesting, but and you know, by the way, Prince Harry just comes off as a huge pussy to me. I, I don't know. He always just looks like a whipped little bitch. And you know I don't know what what goes on with the royal family and everything like that behind the scenes no- nobody really does and no, I don't really care I just it just seems like if your wife is gonna go around like bad mouthing your family and shit, it wouldn't sit too well with me. <laughs> I, I don't know. He just seems like uh, she's got him by the balls, and, and she's wearing the pants in this relationship, and he just comes across as a whipped little bitch. And uh, I don't know. I wouldn't be... If I was a whipped little bitch, I wouldn't be advertising it on national TV in front of 17 million fucking people. I would not be doing that interview. I, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, a- Anyway, it, it just... I don't know what else to say other than I don't give a shit. I wish everybody would stop caring about the royal family and start caring about the meaningful things, uh, the, the, the stuff that really matters. You know, This is all just a distraction. And like I've talked about, it, you know, ad nauseam on this show is that we have real problems that are coming down the pike. Very, very serious problems. And there's really no way for us to deal with them. Anyway, let's take a quick second and... Pay some bills, shall we? Because I have a new sponsor for the show, relatively new, and I think you guys are really could really benefit from this. The If you haven't been exposed to cryptocurrency or something like that, the CoinBits app could be a great way for you to dip your toe into Bitcoin. And if you haven't heard of them before, maybe you've heard of some of these other popular sort of roundup apps, you know, when you make a purchase that it doesn't end in a complete dollar, you know, $10.50. Right, they'll take that extra 50 cents, they'll round it up to $11, and they'll take that 50 cents and invest it in something for you. All right, well, coin the Coinbits app does that but with Bitcoin, so it takes that extra 50 cents and it buys some Bitcoin for you every week. So, all of your purchases it rounds it up to the nearest dollar and then buys you some Bitcoin. And it could be a great way to sort of dollar cost average your way into uh, the bitcoin cryptocurrency and they've made it super easy to do you know a lot of a lot of this technology stuff is very complicated you guys know i'm technologically illiterate and i hate dealing with you know setting up wallets and doing this and doing that. I don't, I don't understand how any of this shit works really, right? They take care of all of that for you. All you have to do is go to coinbitsapp.com slash fiction and, and set up your account. It's coinbits, B is in boy, I-T-S app, A-P-P fiction. Set up your coinbits account and they'll take care of the rest. Now it's not, at the moment, it's not an app for your cell phone. Yet, So you got to do this on your computer. Go to that coinbitsapp.com fiction so they know I sent you and you can start automatically investing your spare change into Bitcoin every week without even really being aware that you're doing it. And psychologically, at least for me, as soon as you break a certain, you know, threshold and a dollar amount, right? $0.35, cents, $0.45, cents, $0.55. Cents. At some point, mentally, I'm already thinking that it costs whatever the next dollar is, right? If it's $10.45, okay, I just spent $11. So why not take that $0.55 cents and buy some Bitcoin? Um, that, that spare change can add up over time. And who knows what's going to happen with Bitcoin? I mean, I, I you guys know I'm not the, the biggest Bitcoin proponent, but it's certainly near all-time highs right now at about 54000 and there's, there's people saying it, it's going to go to millions. It could go to zero. So this is your obvious disclaimer that don't invest anything that you aren't prepared to lose. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This could be the high in Bitcoin. It could go to zero. And the other thing is that I am not in any way, shape, or form licensed or authorized to give you investment advice. I am just telling you simply that this is a way for you to invest in Bitcoin should you be interested in that and it's suitable for your investment needs. So if you've been thinking about investing in Bitcoin, you didn't know how much to invest or when to time the market or something like that, you can kind of forget about all that and go to coinbitsapp.com slash fiction and just you know, dip your toe in the water, start taking little nibbles away at this Bitcoin market here. As far as investing goes, I think spending your spare change slowly over time is a relatively low risk proposition. So if that's something that you think is suitable for your portfolio... Go check them out. All right. Where were we? Ah, yes. We don't have any like possible way of getting out of the hole that we've dug ourselves by allowing this government to grow way, way, way beyond its means. I mean, this is like they spent eight trillion dollars last year. OK, do you remember that at the end of the Bush presidency, the entire national debt that we had racked up since, you know, from George Washington to George Bush was about $8 trillion. It took us a couple hundred years to do that, and we spent it in a year. We have a ton of inflation coming down the, the, the pipe here, and there's just, there's no way to really deal with it. Because what does, in theory, what does the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, do when inflation runs a little too hot, right? well it would raise interest rates. Now they're they're target they're still targeting 2% interest rates, right? This magical 2% number that they pulled out of a hat. And the way they do that is by buying up bonds. They they buy up bonds to force down the interest rate. Now, how do they buy up the bonds? Well, they they create the money out of thin air. <laughs> that, that that that's it. The the treasury issues these bonds. And you know, I don't even I don't even think they sell them at least the majority of them don't get sold to the fed directly but they sell them to these large banking institutions you know morgan stanley or something like that and then those guys sell them to the fed the, the fed just creates a bunch of money out of thin air puts it into a morgan stanley account and buys the bonds and that that keeps the interest rates down right now the less demand there is for these these low-yielding bonds in the market, the more the Fed has to buy to keep the rates from rising. You know, that old bullshit line. Like, if you talk to a a regular person or a statist about what the role of the Federal Reserve is, they'll say, oh, it was to be the lender of last resort. Well, they've become the buyer of last resort when it comes to government bonds. And pretty soon, they're going to be the only buyer because who's going to loan money? Or who's going to loan out their money? for 10 20 30 years at under like two percent interest why would you do that you're losing more like the the actual the actual um rate that you're receiving on these bonds is a you're getting a negative return because inflation is way over two percent even by the their own bullshit cpi measurement of inflation and for those of you who don't um, Abla the the finance the the CPI is the consumer price index and this is how they have um, perverted the measurement of inflation okay because inflation is as we talked about just literally the expansion of the money supply okay and about they've expanded it quite a bit twenty five percent of the all of the money in circulation came into circulation just in the last year, okay? So they've expanded the money supply by a shitload, okay? But what the the CPI measures is the actual increase in prices of a basket of goods. And they've back in the 90s under Clinton, they reverse jiggered this thing. They reverse engineered it to to get a a lower number. <laughs> (laughs) basically, because they have a goal to understate what the real inflation rate is. I mean, if they get to understate inflation, they get to do all kinds of stuff, right? First of all, it makes our GDP look stronger than it actually is, because in order to get the real GDP, you take the nominal GDP number and you subtract the inflation rate from it. So if we have like a nominal 5% GDP and inflation according to the CPI is 2%, well, you subtract the 2 from the 5 and you get a 3% GDP, which is, you know, a real strong economy. But if inflation is running at like 45 maybe even 5%, the way they would calculate the CPI back in, say, the 80s or the 70s, well, then all of a sudden your economy is uh, barely growing at all. Or maybe it's even contracting, right? If you get 3% nominal CPI. And inflation's running at four percent. Well, now you're in a contraction. Okay, so they get to you know they get to overstate the GDP by understating inflation. They also get to you know screw all the people uh, on social security out of um, out of some money because they don't, they, they make a, a adjustments for inflation. But if they're understating it, they don't have to adjust it as much. So there's all kinds of, of uh, benefits to them understating inflation. And, and just measuring prices is a horrible way of doing it. First of all, they they strip out things like food and energy because, oh, well, it became too volatile, right? And it's just like, oh, food and energy, uh, those prices are usually going up. And so how, how convenient it is that they strip those out of the core CPI. And then they, they do these things called hedonics where they just sort of make these subjective judgment calls as to, well, you know, if the price increased or something, but the quality also increased, they can sort of offset that somehow. You know, think of like a computer or something that got like 10 times faster, but the pr- the price only went up like 5% or, you know, five times as much. It would be like, uh, you know, uh, a decrease in the, in the CPI or something like that and then the um the other thing that prices don't capture is the quality of the the goods and services that you're receiving. You know, think of uh well, think of flying, right? I've complained about flying before. The uh you know, the the price of a ticket could go down or it could stay the same, but what what kind of quality flight are you getting now where you have to fucking wear a mask the whole time? You have to get a covid test before. You're you're crammed into the this this Fucking overcrowded plane, you know, these tiny seats. Back in you know, the 70s or something, go look at these pictures where everyone's got these big seats. You know, they're coming around with like a meat carving station, and you can get roast beef and you can have cocktails and everything like that. You don't get any of that shit anymore a little bottle of water, a bag of pretzels and uh, some hand sanitizer and you can go fuck yourself but the you know, the price of the ticket stays the same so or, or maybe the price went down so that would be a, a decrease in the CPI but the quality that you're getting for the the flight went went down considerably. Or like furniture or something like that, you know, if uh, if they have a like a, a table or a desk in the basket of the, the CPI prices, right? And say thirty years ago when you bought a desk, it was like a nice big solid oak desk that would get delivered to your house and you know, they'd bring it in, they'd carry it up the stairs and they'd set and they'd put it in the room for you, right? And you have this nice sturdy oak desk with a nice stain finish on it, okay? And now that the price of that desk has stayed the same, but instead of getting a nice solid oak desk, you get a desk that's made of fucking particle board, and it comes in 500 different pieces from Amazon, and it's shipped to you, and then you have to spend an entire fucking Saturday afternoon putting the thing together, and it's, a, it's not nearly as sturdy. The material, the building material is a lot cheaper, and it... it, it Okay, so the price is the same. As far as the CPI is concerned, there's no inflation, but the desk you got compared to the desk you got 30 years ago is a piece of shit. And then the other thing is that prices could have um, you know, maybe prices were going to go down by 5%, and because there was, you know, 10% inflation or something, they didn't go down at all, right? Uh the, the CPI wouldn't capture any increase in the in inflation even though um, prices were slated to go down a little bit so th- anyway the the whole thing uh the whole way they measure inflation is just intentionally fucking backwards and if if uh, inflation starts really ramping up out of control like you know even not out of control just to historic if interest rates rise to historic, levels of like historic average levels of five or six percent or something like that we we now have 28 trillion dollars in bonded debt that we have to pay interest on every fucking month you know what's five or six percent of 28 trillion not to mention that they're just they just passed or it looks like they're gonna pass this 1.9 trillion dollar spending bill tomorrow in the house (laughs) okay so tack on another two trillion created out of thin air pretty soon we're gonna be at 30 trillion i mean five or six percent of that is going to literally be like half of the entire tax base that the the federal government takes in that we're only taking in a little over three trillion almost three and a half trillion a year in taxes now imagine if half of that, Instead of going to an oversized military and all these welfare programs and the, the Social Security and Medicare Ponzi schemes and things like that, imagine if all that money just went to go pay debt service on the fucking debt, to pay interest on the debt. I mean, they're going to be creating even more money to do that. Or they're going to have to increase taxes. Now, there is not enough uh, taxes, uh, there's not enough money in the entire fucking world to fund our government. Which is why we're we're borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars and creating it out of thin air. So, it's also why they're trying to find all these other things that they can tax, right? Elizabeth Warren wants the wealth tax, they want the, um, you know... Alexandria Ocasio Cortez wants the financial transaction taxes. They're they're gonna they're running out of you know sources of revenue, and so they're gonna keep coming after everything that everything that's not nailed down. You know, it's like that old saying: if it if it moves, tax it. If it doesn't move, tax it twice. <laughs> and they're gonna find they're gonna find ways to tax it, but more importantly, they're gonna find ways of creating more and more inflation, which is the ultimate tax. I mean, it's the worst. Like. Spending, what the government spends is the real tax. Now, how they actually fund it, whether through direct taxation, where they steal from you at gunpoint, or they just steal your purchasing power through inflation, what the government spends is what needs to be taxed. And like I said last year, they spent $8 trillion. So, holy shit. <laughs> is, is there a lot of fucking taxes coming our way in way of uh, the way of inflation, is, is my guess, because Let's not forget; these are cowardly, spineless politicians, and nobody wants to be the politician that you know, takes away the free lunch. So they'll they'll find ways of disguising it until you know it's too late, and the inflation genie is out of the bottle, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and, and we'll, we're going to be screwed. They'll, they'll have to they'll either have to increase interest rates to an astronomical level. Astronomical by today's standards, historically not that bad. You know, when I was a kid, interest rates were running 18 20%. Now we're we're basically at zero. I mean, imagine having a mortgage. I'm refinancing my mortgage right now. And I should have done this last year, and I was too busy just being an idiot with other things. But the yeah, I'm refinancing to like three and an eighth percent, which in my mind is free money because I think inflation is higher than three point one two five percent percent. But so I'm refinancing to that. Imagine having a fucking mortgage of 18%, which was not uncommon. That, that was that was average in like the 80s, right? The, the entire housing market would fucking implode. All these, you know, this this housing bubble that they've blown up with these overly inflated housing prices, those would have to cr- come crashing down. The the stock market and the bond market bubbles would implode. So they're either going to blow up this entire Wall Street bubble that they've intentionally blown up. You know, this was their stated goal was to create the wealth effect through the marketplace, you know, make everybody think they're wealthy on paper through stocks and bonds and investments and housing values and everything like that so that they could borrow against those assets and spend more money because... Unfortunately, they've got the economic cart before the horse and they believe that spending drives, the econ- spending drives economic growth and they've got it ass backwards. But, so that was their stated goal. So they're, they're either going to have to blow all that up and th- this whole you know, bubble, the, the, the world's biggest bubble, we got a bubble in everything, comes crashing down or they don't increase interest rates. They don't allow rates to rise and in order to keep those rates down, they have to create a shit ton of money and and get that circulating throughout the economy, and that's when inflation goes out of control. And you get things like this story I just saw out of Venezuela, which is Venezuela issues a million-dollar Bolivar bill. Um, so Venezuela, for those of you who don't know, has been experiencing hyperinflation for like the last six years. This was the, the darling of all of the... Um, Democratic socialists out there, the Bernie Sanders of the world that were uh, slobbering on the balls of Hugo Chavez and the like uh, for up until, you know, singing his praises up until the whole thing fucking collapsed. And then, of course, you know, once they um, the, the state took ownership of the means of production and oil and things like that and they fucked everything up, you know, Venezuela has some of the largest oil reserves in the in the world and they should they were. One of the the richest countries in South America. And they should be. They should be wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. But they can't even get any of this oil out of the ground. And they've just been devastated by all of these democratic socialist ideas. Now, the democratic socialists will say, well, that wasn't really socialism. And it's all because of these sanctions that the U.S. is putting on them. That's a bunch of bullshit. Okay. But... The Venezuela currency has lost ninety nine point nine 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 percent of its value in the last uh, six years. They've had hyperinflation, which is forcing them to issue larger and larger banknotes, right? And on Friday, the the their central bank announced new plans to unveil the highest valued banknote of one million bolivars. So they're issuing now. They have a two hundred thousand, a five hundred thousand, and a one million boliv. Bolivar bill. Like these are just paper bills that say 1 million Bolivars on it. And if you're wondering how much 1 million Bolivars gets you in terms of U.S. dollars, it's about 50 cents. 50 cents. Okay. Now this is this is something that could actually happen here. Okay. You know, they're, they're getting paid. You know, they're walking around with millions of dollars in their pocket. But it costs millions of dollars to literally buy a fucking cup of coffee now. They actually have a chart here, and they've been tracking this for the last uh, looks like about the last six years. It's the the cost of a cup of coffee from a coffee place in Caracas. It's called uh, you know. Uh, The Caracas Cafe, Cafe Con Leche Index, right? Coffee with Cream Index. It now costs 2.7975 million bolivars for a cup of coffee. Okay. And and it basically shoots up from being, you know, a few, like, what's that? Like maybe uh, a few thousand bolivars to over uh, almost 3 million, like 3,000% from a year ago. That's it. A 3,000% rise in the cost of a cup of coffee, from a year ago and this is where they are now this is you know this is why they're eating garbage out of dumpsters this is why people are fleeing that country all the rich people left they got out of dodge long before this crisis took place and and what were you left with well, uh, a rich, connected political class—you know, Nicolas Maduro hasn't missed a fucking meal. He's a—he's a fat, pudgy piece of shit, just like uh, Kim Jong Un in uh, North Korea. But the the people of Venezuela, the ones that are left there, the ones that were left holding the bag for the the insane, destructive policies of democratic socialism and government profligacy, government run amuck printing money out of thin air to promise, you know, equality and free education and housing and everything to the people. Everything you hear our government talking about today, they tried that in Venezuela and this is the result of it. This is what you end up with. The the rich people leave, the government takes over the means of production and the people that get left holding the bag, the poorest among us, the ones that the government promised to take care of, they are fucked they are living in abject poverty they are, they're there it costs millions of dollars to get a bag of flour if there is flour on the shelf and in order to get that you have to wait in line for the entire day and they're losing you know 20 30 pounds in a year they call it the maduro diet these people are they are fucked they are totally fucked the the their um their government has done a tremendous job of destroying what was the wealthiest country in South America. And it's not like we haven't seen this before. We saw it in Zimbabwe, too. The people, you know, teachers in Zimbabwe would make $50 million a year, but it wouldn't buy anything. You know, it's easy to just put numbers on a piece of paper and hand out the paper. I mean, if that's what it took to drive an economy, to drive economic growth, to pull people out of poverty... It would be easy. There would be no poverty. You know, they're passing this $1.9 trillion stimulus bill and they're taking a lot of heat for it, right, from both sides of the aisle for the dumbest possible reasons, right? The Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world are upset because it doesn't have the federal minimum wage hike in there. And, you know, instead of getting $2,000, you're only getting 1400 from from the the government, right? And then the right claims to be outraged because, oh, well, this is going to blow a hole in the budget deficits like, yeah, OK, now all of a sudden they, they seem to be concerned again uh, with debts, uh, deficits and debt, right? All a bunch of bullshit, all a bunch of bullshit. But if, if that's all it took was for the government to create a bunch of money out of thin air and pass it out to people, this would be so easy. And Zimbabwe would be like the richest country in the world. They printed fucking trillions. But you see, the problem is it's savings and production that grows the economy, not just paper money. The, the the paper is just a way of divvying up what's been produced. So if you're not producing anything and all you're doing is giving out more and more pieces of paper to people to buy up the limited amount uh, amounts of goods and services that we have produced... Well, oh, prices are going to go up because you're just giving people more and more dollars to bid up those prices. And, th- and that's what's going to happen here. I mean, we have – they're talking about economic recoveries. And we got these you know – we're getting these job numbers coming out of uh, – that came out last week. And it was like, dude, we still have over 700,000 people every week filing for unemployment benefits. We still have 10 million people out of work. Okay. All the jobs that were created, I I forget how many jobs that were actually created, but 75% of them were waiters and bartenders. 75%. Okay. What do waiters and bartenders do? Oh, they just serve food to people. Okay. And a lot of these restaurants have already closed, right? Permanently. I've talked about all the restaurants that were near and dear to my heart that permanently closed. So some of these waitresses and bartenders are aren't going to go back to work. But all of these, the ones that did, they, those weren't jobs that were lost. They were just sort of on hold, right? They were just waiting for the, uh, you know, the governor to open up their state so that they could go back to work. We're not producing anything. We're not really manufacturing anything. We have an entire just service sector economy that's. Based off of just buying goods from other countries, you know, our trade deficits, you know, Trump was supposed to, um, you know, really stick it to China and win this trade war and we were going to start winning on trade and everything like that. He had the largest fucking trade deficits in the history of the fucking country, history of the union, the biggest ones. And that's because all, literally all we're doing is creating a bunch of money out of thin air, giving it to U.S. citizens. They go buy stuff on Amazon from China or fucking Taiwan, wherever the fuck it was made. And they ship those goods over and we ship out our worthless paper dollars. That's basically what our economy is right now. And it just it just can't go on like that forever. You, you cannot just live forever uh, consuming without producing spending without saving this is this is nonsense this is absolutely nonsense and this is why we're seeing these massive bubbles everywhere stock market at all time highs you know if you look at a chart of the the dow jones it man does it look eerily similar to the having almost a having that took place right before uh coronavirus i mean i wish i could actually show the uh, pull up the chart but there we are getting to a point I think of exhaustion in this market. And it's going to take a hell of a lot of fed intervention and monetary creation to keep those numbers up. And I don't know if they can do it. (laughs) And if they do, it's just, it's just going up nominally and you're not really earning anything because inflation is destroying all the purchasing power. So we're getting to a very critical point here. And when this whole thing comes crashing down is anybody's guess. I have no idea. All I know is that if you think about it for two seconds, none of this makes any sense. We've got, you know, the uh, the unemployment, the, the people filing for unemployment claims every week is like the highest, the, the, the one highest claim we've had since like the Great Depression, right? But we're doing that on a weekly basis. We got millions of people out of work. Entire states are shut down still. And people seem to think that all you have to do is well, just have the government give you money. Just have them give you some paper dollars as if that, like, as if we haven't tried that already. You know, they, nobody seems to understand what creates wealth. Everybody looks around in the most idiotic fashion. They're like, well, why do we have all these poor people? Well, they just need money, right? We just need to give them dollars and then they won't be poor anymore. No, <laughs> no, no, no. What, what makes you poor is that you don't have any stuff, right? Um, Yes, if you had dollars and you had produced something to earn those dollars, then you could take those dollars and buy something that society has produced. But if nobody's producing anything and you're just getting a bunch of dollars, that's not going to make you any richer. Every dollar that you earn in an, you know, a free market economy is a byproduct of the value that you've created. right? You've, you've helped create some value in the economy. Otherwise, that job wouldn't exist. right? So it, it's like a one-to-one sort of thing. You create a dollar worth of value in the economy and they give you a dollar to spend in the economy. So you put in a dollar and uh, you take out a dollar, right? Or in some and In some cases, you put in a lot more value than you actually take out, like I've talked about in the case of billionaires and why I don't think billionaires are this evil thing, right? Because they've put in uh, billions of dollars worth of value into the economy and they get all these paper dollars back in, a, in exchange that they never really spend them all. Right? They're, not, they're not taking all that value out of the economy that they put in. They're only taking a fraction out. And so they put in more value than they've actually taken out. But if you're just sitting at home, double fisting fucking cheeseburgers and watching Netflix whatever's left on Netflix or I guess Disney you know Disney's taking away all the fucking cartoons now no more Peter Pan no more Dumbo and I guess I don't know if your cheeseburgers will be coming from Burger King much longer because they stepped in it yesterday as well trying to be fucking woke with this tweet about on women I guess National Women's Day was yesterday and so they tweeted out women belong in the kitchen and, and it was like this this whole campaign, I guess, that they're trying to do because only apparently only 20 percent of chefs are women. So if women want to be in the kitchen, of course, then they're on a mission to help you like uh, em- empower you to become uh, uh, have a culinary career or whatever. But the first tweet didn't go over too well. Their uh, woke virtue signaling got them in a uh, bath of hot water here and they're just taking it on the chin. So I don't know how much longer we're going to have Burger King. There were all kinds of, you know, Burger Queen was trending on Twitter, I guess. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel bad for it. You know, there's uh, a, <laughs> you know, if you're going to cater to this fucking woke bullshit and your your tweet was misinterpreted and didn't go over too well, you get what you fucking deserve. So I have no fucking sympathy for them. But anyway, if you're sitting at home double fisting, uh, what, is, what does Burger King have? They have the Whopper, right? I don't eat this fast food shit, so I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure they got the whopper, right? If you're sitting at home double fist and whoppers and watching Netflix, and the government's just sending you checks, the government doesn't have anything okay all the All the government has is what it's taken from the rest of us, all right, and maybe they've taken it now, or maybe they plan on taking it in the future, or we're going to rob from future generations to pay for your fucking cheeseburgers today, but you you've added no value to the economy. And you're just going to take out what value we've actually created. And so instead of having this economic, you know, I hate this analogy of a pie, right? The economic pie, because in reality, it's not a fixed pie, right? We can create wealth. Uh, Look around. We've created a a, a ton of wealth over the last thousand years, right? Uh, Even just the last couple hundred. But by forcing people to not work, to sit around on their fat asses, Well, they've essentially fixed the pie now, right? Because a a bunch of people aren't creating any more wealth. They're just sitting around and consuming things. See, that's the problem with socialism, democratic socialism, all this shit. They really stop wealth creation in its tracks. And because they don't understand how wealth is created, they think we have this fixed pie and we just have to divvy it up among everybody else. And oh, uh, Tommy over there has too much of the pie, so we need to take from Tommy and give it to Jane. Because Jane's been oppressed. It becomes basically a self-fulfilling prophecy where nobody's, uh, nobody's inspired or motivated to create wealth because it's just going to be taken from them. And so they, they essentially take this economic pie that we can increase the size of at will. We just have to be allowed to do it. And they fix it. They make it a fixed entity, and then they destroy it slowly over time. They consume all of that pie, and then you get a Venezuela situation. And... Man, the the writing is on the wall here for the U.S. and it's looking very bad, very bad, ladies and gentlemen. And while all of this stuff is going on, we're canceling cartoons and um, yelling at burger companies for a, a stupid tweet. I mean, this is we have reached peak absurdity. And um, man, we you're really going to have to take control of of your your life here and put yourself in a position where you can't be hurt by this sort of thing. Make sure that you have multiple sources of income, income that you can earn anywhere in the world. Ideally, you know, I've become a huge proponent of this whole digital nomad thing just because of coronavirus specifically. Yeah, you know, I was already I was already kind of eyeing this years ago and I've i put myself on a path where I think I can be successful at it, but you, you know, you never know with these things, but the the coronavirus is just more uh, more evidence to you know, to wake up, take control of your life and, and don't be dependent on anybody else or the government because the government only destroys things. It doesn't create anything. And if you're sitting around waiting for the government to take care of you, to give you uh to boost the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, to send you a two thousand dollar check. It they might do it eventually. They might get their, you know, their Five thousand page bill passed that you know, uh, one fiftieth of it goes to the people. The rest of it, it they're still, you know, they're putting one dollar into your pocket and taking five dollars out of the other pocket, and, and you're gonna you're gonna sit there feeling like you got oh, okay, yeah, I got my check. And uh, now I can do this, this, and that pretty soon th- those checks are not going to be uh buying what they used to buy, and you're going to find yourself in a very, very difficult spot if you are depending on somebody else for your survival for your for your livelihood and if that someone ends up being the government, God help you. Ask the people of Venezuela how relying on the government to provide for them worked out. Ask the people of Cuba how relying on the government. To provide for them worked out. Ask the people of Zimbabwe. Ask the people of uh, fucking North Korea. I mean, the list goes on and on uh, of failed states that have promised the world everybody and their mother gets a free lunch. And because we have a an ignorant populace and this idea of democracy and everybody gets a vote, well, you incentivize these people. Pussy politicians to promise these idiots everything under the sun. And people, time and time again, you know, we are not very smart creatures. (laughs) Look around. I mean, you could get people... You could get somebody to walk into oncoming traffic if you start walking into oncoming traffic. I used to watch idiots do that all day long in Chicago. Oh, even better yet, I posted a video, I think it was on Twitter, of these people. You know, there's this one guy and he's just fucking around with them. He's standing in front of a building and he's wearing a tracksuit and he's got a lint roller. And everybody that walks... Up to the entrance of the building, he stops in front of him and he holds up his arms like he wants you to put out his arms. He's going to scan you with, a you know, like a metal detector or something. But it's just a lint roller. And he just rolls the lint roller over their shoulders and then lets them go through. And people keep doing this. People are fucking lemmings. Okay, This idea that we should empower all the lemmings to vote for government when they know nothing, they understand nothing, this idea that that's a good thing, that this is the way we should organize society is to have the biggest lemmings among us, the dumbest people in our population – Vote for or listen to, you know, Alexandria casio cortez promise them all sorts of stuff if they just vote for him. And then once they get into power, they actually do it. They follow through on this nonsense. This is going to be a disaster. There, there's just no way this could end well. And that is why I uh, I promote libertarianism. Because it, it's not that, you know, I'm some greedy rich person or something like that. It's because I care about people. I, I care about them so much that I don't want to see them eating fucking garbage. Sifting through a dumpster to try to feed their kids. Having to eat the family pet because you're starving to death. You see, we realize... The way you create wealth is not through government decree. It's not through the printing press. And so we have to get these ideas out there of sound economics, Austrian economics, sound money, limited government, individualism, maximum freedom, free markets, because that is the only way. It's the only way man has devised. It is the only way that we have figured out how to create the most wealth and opportunity for the most amount of people. We've been able to pull billions of people out of abject poverty by following these principles. Now, if you have a better idea, a better idea of how to pull billions of people out of abject poverty in a record amount of time, I'm all ears. But you can't keep trudging up these old failed socialist ideas that have literally destroyed countries killed millions of people have done the exact opposite of what their stated goal was those those belong in the dustbin of history so don't keep coming at me with those all right free market capitalism limited government is the only way that we, that has been proven to be successful in this arena we've had a a massive experiment in unadulterated free market about as free of a market as you could probably conceive of from say the post civil war era up until 1913 the creation of the federal reserve and if you think about the amount of wealth creation that took place in that short time period 50 60 years something like that pre you know up up until the civil war w- what were we doing right we were we were living pretty much how human beings had lived for the last 5 600 years right you're riding horses You're taking a shit in an outhouse. You don't have running water. Okay? You don't have electricity. And then, boom. We have uh, the the biggest experiment of, of free, unadulterated markets, capitalism run amok, right, with, with the smallest government in the world, with very little regulation. There was no federal minimum wage. There was no Medicare, no Medicaid, no Social Security. There was nothing. There was no Council of Economic Advisors. There was no Department of Education or, or of Agriculture or uh, Commerce. None of that stuff existed. We funded the entire government through tariffs on imported goods. That's it. There was no welfare state. And in that short period of time, we develop, uh, you name it, we develop it, right? Electricity, the automobile, running water, indoor plumbing, air conditioning. The airplane, for Christ's sake, was invented. I I mean, life drastically changed as soon as we started doing this. And if we had kept on that trajectory, we would be living like the fucking Jetsons by now. With three-day work weeks... And, you know, you just, you have robots doing everything for you. You push a button. But what happened? What happened in 1913? Oh, we created the Federal Reserve. We got the income tax. We got the, you know, the the Federal Reserve enabled the world's smallest government to become the world's largest government. They found a workaround, a loophole in the Constitution, they exploited the shit out of it, and then take a look at what we've invented since the creation of the Federal Reserve. Is there anything really new? I mean, other than the internet, right? And, and smartphones, which, I mean, that's a huge thing, okay? The, don't get me wrong. That's a, a huge advancement for mankind and, and technology and everything like that. But other than that, has there been any really new invention? It, we've improved all of that stuff that we invented back then. We've improved the automobile, the airplane, air conditioning, all that stuff. But we, ha- we don't really have any like mind-boggling new inventions that drastically change the way mankind is... Is going to function? I mean, we did all that in like forty years. It's been a hundred and seven since since we our government started to get out of control, and, and all we've all we've accomplished since then is the cell phone. Why? What happened? What happened to that trajectory that we were on? And just look around. The obvious answer is look how big the government got. It, we went from the smallest government in the world to the biggest government in the world. Remember, government doesn't have anything. It only destroys. So it look at how much wealth our government is destroying every year. That could go to other things. God knows what we could have invented by now. But I know that $8 trillion worth of fucking invention would go a long way in the private sector. The government just squanders it on failed fucking programs that have never produced the desired result. So take a look around at your gigantic albatross of a government, the world's biggest military. There's like t- more than 20 million people, I think, work for the fucking government. got all these bureaucracies, weights and measures, uh, all these departments that we don't need, agriculture, commerce, education, the IRS. I mean, this is where it all went. This is what stopped the meteoric trajectory that we were on. We, we took everything that we could be creating to advance mankind to raise our living standards to a level unimaginable even by today's standards and we just we squandered all that wealth we destroyed 99 percent of the value of the dollar and we squandered it on the federal mafia on the world's biggest government on a group of fucking pedophiles and criminals that operate at the threat of violence what a shame man what a fucking shame and it's all because we lost sight of the, these libertarian principles of sound money, limited government, individualism. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to that real soon or we're going to be in a world of hurt. I mean, we're going to be in a world of hurt anyway. The only hope that we have is that when this fucking whole house of cards comes tumbling down, that we have the right messaging. That they should have been listening to us all along. And that we can rebuild whatever you know rum, uh, whatever comes from the rubble of this the fall of this empire, that we can take control of it, promote these ideas of libertarianism, and build a foundation for a stronger country, and not lose control of the narrative to these social justice warriors of the world, the, the democratic socialists of America, and let them exploit. The, the problems that we've been having, the problems that government created, and propose even more government as the solution, which, if they are successful in that, that will be the final nail in the coffin for the United States of America, and we can look to Zimbabwe or Venezuela for what that's going to look like anyway i'm going to wrap there for today guys on another high note of course do me a favor if you liked what you heard today give me a five star rating and review on itunes and follow me on twitter that's all i'm asking that you do just follow me on twitter i want to get my numbers up on there that are more in line with the listenership of this show so that i look like i'm more of a big deal right <laughs> i'm kind of a big deal but uh, it certainly doesn't look like it on Twitter. So follow me on Twitter at Petal Fiction. Give me a five-star rating and review. You know, that helps grow the show a little bit, get eyeballs out there and, and new listeners and everything. Because we have to get this message of liberty out into the world to have a fighting chance over the next uh, few years or so. So if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on friday with a brand new episode for you we are doing i'm doing an interview with gus from photo iq he's been working with scott horton to do a video series on scott's new book enough already so we're going to be talking about that i'm going to record that on thursday and it should drop on friday and until then you guys know the drill just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction peace